This is the In Focus podcast from the Hindu. Hello and welcome to the Hindu's In Focus podcast. India's foreign exchange reserves are lower by about dollar 100 billion from a year ago. The rupee has also depreciated. It's seen a decline of more than 7% since the start of the financial year in April. Though the Reserve Bank has dipped into the reserves to help stem volatility in the rupee, that is not the only reason that the observed value of the reserves has declined. Changes in valuation, given that the dollar has strengthened brutally against other currencies too, have also contributed. How does this work and what implications do all these changes have for the RBA's action path going forward? Vivek Kumar, economist at macroeconomic research firm Quantico Research, joins us today to share his views on these subjects. Thank you so much, Vivek, for joining us today, uh, especially at about the time when there's a lot of concern about our forex reserves and the valuation of the rupee. Really appreciate you being with us this morning. Thank you so much, Bharat, and uh, thanks for having me. So, we've seen a lot uh, written about and spoken about when it comes to uh, forex reserves dipping. And, you know, in, in the past, or at least year to date, I think we've dipped almost uh, $100 billion. Uh, and the last report was about $545 billion about two weeks ago, mid-September. I also saw a short report uh, that you would put out from Quantico indicating that the valuation change is also, you know, one of the reasons why we see a certain dip in the reserves. It's not just the actual physical exit of currency from the reserves but also a valuation change. For the sake of our uh, listeners, can you help us understand how this valuation change works, especially when it's a basket of currencies that the RBI holds? Right. So let's say we've got to understand that the forex reserve uh, of any particular country, they change because of three main actions. One action is uh, the central bank's own action in terms of what they decide to do in the foreign exchange market via their intervention route. The central bank can be selling. So I'm just giving you a very generic answer, Bharat, here, because I'm just trying to put the nuts and bolts together. The central bank can intervene to uh, on the buy side. It can also intervene on the sell side. So if there is a pressure on currency, uh, which means that the currency uh, is showing depreciation tendencies much more than the central bank would like, then the central bank runs down their uh, reserves, which means they sell their reserves. The opposite situation can also happen, wherein uh, the appreciation pressures on the currency can be on the domestic currency can get uh, built because of certain reasons, and this appreciation pressure could be much more than what the central bank would be ideally comfortable with. In that situation, the central bank does the opposite; it buys the foreign exchange from the market so as to slow down the appreciation of the domestic currency. So, net net, the central bank actions in the foreign exchange market determines whether your foreign exchange reserves go up or down. That is number one, why it, why it changes. Number two is it changes because of valuation. And valuation again has two components. So that is why I said there are three components that changes reserves. One part of the valuation is because of price movement. So price movement as in let's say our foreign exchange reserves, you've got the constituents are largely divided into uh, three or four categories. Number one is assets, foreign currency assets, which typically constitute of uh, treasury securities. So these are sovereign securities 
with the central bank purchases and these are largely securities which are issued by sovereigns of developed markets developed countries the reason why central bank does it because uh, the central bank wants its assets to remain as liquid as possible in case they want to sell there is no liquidity problem in the global uh, markets they can do it as quickly as they want so that is the reason why most of their foreign currency assets are in the treasury securities or sovereign securities of developed economies the other part is uh, the gold and the uh, the sdrs sdrs a special uh, uh, depository that sits at the imf which is again a basket of currencies so in effect what we are looking at is there are uh, you, you are holding your reserves in various currencies and uh, predominantly i guess this would be true for most of the economies i would say every economy in the world not just most the uh, there would be a difference in terms of the weight, uh, in, in terms of the weightages but i guess by and large every economy in the world holds their predominant share of reserves in dollars and it's it's not a surprise because dollar is a currency of global trade and commerce and that is also a reason why central banks prefer to hold majority of their currencies in dollar for the emerging markets as a whole this ratio could be anywhere between 60 65% roughly i would say so 60% or 65% would be your dollar assets in your reserves the remaining uh, 35 40% would be in non dollar assets so they could be in euro they could be in pound yen swiss franc australian dollar chinese won for that matter so when the value of dollar changes so which means let's say if dollar appreciates or depreciates what you do is uh, from a reporting standpoint or from an accounting standpoint your reserves you report in dollar terms so even though you hold non dollar assets you still do the accounting in terms of dollars and when the value of dollar changes you will have to account for that change in dollar so let's say uh, if dollar appreciates by 10% then uh, the non dollar assets in my book will will depreciate by roughly say 10% so when the non dollar uh, reserve depreciates by 10% my overall reserves also you know see some commensurate correction and that in a nutshell is the valuation impact from the change in fx rate so whenever dollar appreciates the impact on non dollar book or the non dollar reserves is normally manifested in the form of lower reserve similarly would be the the opposite side so whenever dollar depreciates the non dollar book of my reserves tends to increase so typically that is what is seen from an accounting standpoint appreciation in dollar leads to a negative valuation impact on the reserve book a depreciation of dollar leads to a positive valuation impact or accounting impact in in my books the third aspect there is another angle to valuation as well bharat uh, which is the securities that you hold and the securities that you hold as i said since these are sovereign securities the sovereign securities will also have an yield and every security has an yield every bond has an yield and when interest rates move up or when the uh, which means that the bond prices move up or down the yield also changes so there is a valuation impact also coming from that angle it's not just fx route it's the movement in interest rates also which causes a uh, valuation impact let's say if interest rates if, if let's say if i'm holding the us treasury securities uh, which
which are giving me 3% interest on an annual basis, and interest rates move up from 3% to 4%, then the value of those securities, when interest rate moves up, the bond prices fall. The value of those securities will fall. And when the value of those securities will fall, it will start getting reflected in my reserves. Because at the end of the day, I am reporting it as of particular day. So whenever RBI, in case of RBI, we see they report it every Friday. So on that reporting Friday, what was the value of that security will get reflected. So it's both an FX rate valuation as well as an interest rate valuation impact. That was pretty comprehensive and lucid. In your note put out on October 3rd, you indicate that in the quarter end of June, the value of reserves had dipped by about $18.2 billion, but that the 6.5% appreciation in the US dollar had resulted in a valuation loss of $22.7 billion, which seems higher, obviously. What does this mean exactly? Yes, I'm assuming you're talking about the April-June quarter of FY23. So there we saw the reserves declining by $18.2 billion. And uh, the so this is this is not our estimate. This is a number which RBI has given themselves, and they released this number along with the current accounts data or the balance of payment data that they do every quarter. So as per this number, the uh, the FX reserves decline was uh, the observed FX reserve decline was 18.2 billion. And the valuation loss, uh, this is again reported by RBI themselves, was 22.7 billion. Now, you could argue that reserves were falling, fell by 18.2 billion. The valuation loss was 22.7 billion. How could it be more than the actual falling reserves? So, which essentially means that the valuation change explains more than what the actual reserves fell. So, actually, there was a net accretion to reserves. So had that net accretion to reserves not happened, so on one angle you had, I think the net accretion to reserve was roughly about four four and a half billion dollar. So which means RBI bought four four and a half billion dollar in Q1. There was uh, a twenty two point seven billion dollar of valuation cost. If you combine both of them together, you get the eighteen point two billion dollars of actual observed decline in FX reserves. So. In uh, percentage terms, if you're seeing, then the valuation impact actually explains 125% of the change in the FX reserves. So they explain more than what the FX reserves fell, which essentially means that the RBI was buying dollars in the market. That's interesting. Excellent. Okay. So if we move on from, you know, the valuation charge itself, you know, the actual, uh, you know, quantum by which the reserves seem to have dipped, all put together, the actual observed value and then the valuation uh, reflection of valuation, we are about $100 billion down. As an economist, would you advise any further dipping into the reserves to stem the volatility? You know, when we were just at around $600 billion, some economists felt that even if another $100 billion is spent in stemming the volatility or smoothening the decline so that there's not too much of uh, spikes and uh, troughs, would you advise this? Or you're saying, you know, don't do this too much because any further dipping would actually cause alarm bells to ring on the reserves front and let the rupee depreciate because after all market forces have to take hold. Correct. I think it's it's a question, Bharat, which does not have an easy answer. And the, the reason being uh, that you can argue on both the sides uh, very comprehensively and convincingly. Now, what we feel as a house is that, yes, there is about a roughly $100 billion loss in the fixed reserves on an annualized basis, so year-to-year basis. 
last year vis-a-vis uh, last year we've lost about 101 billion dollars and uh, this again only about 33% is actually because of rbi selling dollars roughly 67% is because of valuation change here so out of those 101 billion you could argue that 68 billion is because of you know valuation the remaining 30 33 34 billion is actually because of rbi so rbi has not sold as much as the headline number indicates so one way to argue would be that since rbi has not done as much as the headline number indicates the situation is not as precarious and uh, we could continue on with the current strategy of uh, trying to stabilize the currency as much as possible because the global environment is still uh, pretty uncertain and in this environment we need to nurture the growth prospects that the economy is showing and overall financial stability and macroeconomic balance needs to be maintained the other side of the argument is that uh, reserves at the end of the day they are a reflection of some of the vulnerabilities or that you have or so typically in an international context uh, your reserves become the first line of defense and every investor will judge how safe a particular country is uh, for his investment from the perspective of whether the country has adequate firepower or not to defend any untoward contagion effect which is there in the global financial markets and reserves from this perspective becomes one of the most important tool to judge uh, what kind of sound macroeconomic stability that the policy makers can potentially provide so you typically judge the adequacy of reserves because you know 537 billion dollars is what we have currently in itself it doesn't give you any signal you don't know whether 537 538 billion dollars is sufficient good enough not good enough uh, it doesn't tell you anything so what you need to see is how is this reserve vis-a-vis the size of your economy what is this reserve doing vis-a-vis the imports that you have in an economy like given here so what kind of import cover does the the reserve provide from a debt perspective again you need to see what kind of debt cover that your reserve provides so the absolute value of reserves is actually completely um, meaningless for it so from this perspective if we have to benchmark our reserves against some of the adequacy parameters then as far as debt levels are concerned i guess we are still pretty much okay vis-a-vis uh, the weakest point in our recent history which was in 2013 as far as the external sector was concerned we had reserves pretty low and our import cover had gone down to 6 months so we had sufficient reserve just to cover 6 months of import this was down from nearly 14 15 months of import cover during 2005 2007 period so we had a sharp drawdown on reserves vis-a-vis our, uh, our import tendency in the current context our reserve cover is uh, just short of 9 months so that is uh, something to take comfort of that vis-a-vis 2013 we are much better and our macroeconomic conditions are better so we could probably uh, go on or continue with this strategy but at the same time we also need to note that whatever gains that we had in the reserve during the post covid period immediately our reserve cover had shot up to nearly 12 or 13 months so we we lost all that and our reserve cover has now actually dipped below the pre covid level so pre covid level the reserve cover used to be between 9 and 10 months now we are down below 9 months and if the current pace of reserve depletion continues let's say by another quarter or so 
then we are going to be below eight months of import cover in just about two or three months time. So the point here is that if you continue with the strategy, you could be knocking on seven, eight months of import cover pretty soon. And that is where I guess a little bit of nervousness might step in because uh, all said and done, your, while yes, there has been a perceptible amount of softness in international commodity prices, but your imports are still going pretty strong. And that also is a reflection of the sequential uh, recovery in domestic demand conditions. So it's it's a combination of both, both elevated international commodity prices vis-a-vis where things were a year ago and ongoing domestic recovery. Your, in, your import demand is strong. On the other hand, your reserves are coming down. So the import cover itself is coming down. And you don't want to hit the nervous level of six or seven months of import cover, you know, that will start reminding investors of what happened in 2013 when uh, rupee lost uh, nearly 22-23% of its value in just about three months of time. So you don't want to walk walk that path. You would want to stop, you know, you want to, you would want to keep some buffer is, uh, I think that's a better way to put it. And how do you do it? You do it by maybe taking a slightly more prudent approach and allowing currency to while yes the RBI you, you could you could still argue that RBI is still doing that is, is that it's allowing rupee to keep moving along with the emerging markets but uh, once in a while a hands off approach also would be uh, beneficial in the current context sorry uh, if i could interrupt you you, you what is a healthy uh, import cover uh, you know somebody mentioned that uh, just after the second wave of COVID, I think September 2021, we were hovering at the 15 months worth of import cover when you looked at reserves. But even if that is an outlier, and if you talk about 12 to 13 months, is that healthy? Is 9 and 10 you're comfortable with? You know, Would you rather continue with this? And even if it doesn't get better, is that all right? Well, again, you don't have an answer to this. The technical answer is there's no sanctity to the technical answer as well. As, as far as IMF is concerned, according to them, the bare minimum that a country should be holding is three months of import. Now, again, that's the bare minimum. So that doesn't mean that the bare minimum is sufficient. The bare minimum is the bare minimum for you to survive. But in times of crisis, uh, in times of, let's say, uh, contagion, or in times of unprecedented volatility, unprecedented uncertainty, the bare minimum is not going to be sufficient. So we have to make sure that uh, you, know, you are much above the bare minimum. And this is something which is true everywhere. It's not just about reserve cover. Just you you look at the banking sector. The, banking, the regulator imposes reserve requirement. Every bank will maintain over and above what the reserve requirements are supposed to be maintained at. Because you would, you would never want to touch that line. You would always want to maintain buffers. And the question here is, how much of a buffer do you maintain? Now, how much of a buffer you maintain should ideally be guided by uh, your own historical experiences of dealing with situations of financial market volatility. So is, let's say, six months good enough for India when IMF is saying three months is the bare minimum? Well, we saw what what happened to India, India when India was running a six months uh, import cover during 2013? So clearly, six months is not enough for a, for an economy like India in a situation of global market volatility. So you would need to go much beyond that. 
how much beyond that again it's 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 a judgmental question i guess anything closer to double digits is something which would give a lot of comfort so closer to double digits would be somewhere close to 10 months or so and uh, currently as i said we are just uh, under nine okay so uh, you know one of the other measures that you talked about was uh, short term debt you know if i look at it as a percentage of total reserves you know i think uh, end of june we were at 22% of total reserves compared with about 20% in march that's slightly increased is that par for the course is that that measure of uh, short term debt which is less than one year outstanding short term debt as a percentage of reserves are we comfortable on that count if that's another way to look at whether our reserves are sufficient i think short term debt is fine because that uh, from a, from the perspective of fx reserves has not risen much so the debt to reserve ratio uh, is not as the change in the debt to reserve ratio has not been as eye catching as the change in the import cover so i would say that that's still pretty much okay and uh, currently i think the number that you that you said was 20% and i think that's that's pretty much okay we we've, we've seen uh, much worse numbers than than that yeah i i guess that that is something which is uh, still doable it's it's more it's a, it's a debt uh, one way to think of it would be debt is more a stock prop for any economy and uh, the interest payment or let's say the the current account transaction in the form of imports etc they are more a flow prop so they are one is the stock side of the economy the other one is the flow side of the economy so the flow side of the economy is 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 changing at a faster pace currently which is your imports are changing at a much faster pace and that has to do with the commodity price angle that has to do with uh, the pace of economic recovery which is given the global situation we are still growing at a respectable respectable pace and that is generating pressure on our imports so it's more a flow situation or a more a flow concern than a stock concern to me at this point understood so if i have to look at um, you know depreciating rupee and related to our export import a uh, trade and you know trade deficit which has been widening for the past few months i think the september figures just came in you know a little while ago for you know exports and imports export has actually dipped it's obviously a reflection of uh, recessionary fears at least uh, in in the uh, global scenario if exports dip faster than imports would dip i think imports went below the 60 billion dollar value monthly uh, for september after quite a gap if exports dip faster than imports do then of course you we still uh, live with a trade deficit problem which contributes to a current account deficit current account deficit as a percentage of gdp could go well up to 4% as per some estimates you know some have felt that even back in 2013 we did have a 4% um, uh, cad as a percent of gdp but money outflow wasn't you know as much of a problem initially you know when that problem actually hit us but uh, here we already are seeing fpi outflows foreign portfolio investors uh, you know taking money out of the markets of course there have been some trends where in the last few months they came back in again and then there's been some exits so how would you see this cad as a percentage of gdp gdp problem uh, at 4% is this something that we can live with how do you see the next few months so our estimates suggest that the number would be closer to 130 billion dollars for the year uh, with a possibility of a mild downside risk 
but let's let's take 130 as uh, the approximate number to, uh, to to arrive at our conclusions then the percentage comes to around 3.7 uh with the 130 billion uh, estimate that we have and uh, 3.7% is uh, i would say it's in the amber zone uh, it's not in the red zone yet but definitely what was a green zone number which was last year last year's current account deficit was 1.2% and that that was something which was pretty comfortable for uh, for india we actually uh, for india typically you consider 2.5% current account deficit as a sustainable level of current account deficit from a long term perspective so uh, it does not mean that anything above 2.5% uh, current account deficit is going to be immediately uh, unfinanceable it's it, it does not imply that it just means that uh, you could probably will not be able to sustain uh, a 3 3.5% current account deficit on on a longer term basis so for fy23 the estimates suggest that it is likely to be closer to 3.7 and yes given the concerns that we have on uh, foreign uh, on the capital account uh, uh, side because the fpi flows are are still shaky we we saw a slight turnaround in sentiment in the month of august in the month of july and august i think before that we had nearly uh, nine months of consecutive selling in Uh, by FPI, so starting October 21 till June 22, we saw nearly 36 billion dollars of selling month after month. This 36 billion dollars is the cumulative sum between October and June of 2021 and 2022. July was the turnaround month when we saw a minor inflow. That was the first inflow in uh, 10 months, and September and August we saw a massive inflow of seven and a half billion. post that so which is september we saw a 1 billion dollar outflow now again the sentiment is a little bit shaky because post september in fact september onwards the central banks globally have uh, increased their aggression in terms of tightening monetary policy and that started off with the federal reserve it started off spilling over to the ecb now most of the developed country central banks post the federal reserve 75 basis point hike they've actually uh, done rate hikes anywhere ranging between 50 basis points and 125 basis points so switzerland was one of the economies which was maintaining zero interest rate policy it in one shot it turned positive so a lot of changes happened in the month of september and this new found aggression so central banks were aggressive in in uh, in addressing inflation risk it's just that post september the aggression has found uh, a different level of meaning altogether so we would currently hope that this uh, aggression in uh, central bank tightening monetary policy would probably continue for another two or three months that impact on portfolio flows could linger for a few months so for the year as a whole we would still expect the foreign portfolio flows to remain negative and uh, given the global interest rate environment that we have uh, your ecbs the external commercial borrowing could also not be as robust as they were uh, last year last year we had about uh, so the entire loan component out of which ecb is one component you have trade credit and you have external loans all put together we had about 34 billion dollars of inflows this year we'll be happy if we are able to garner anywhere between 15 and 20 billion dollars on that account so net net 
you know, we are expecting uh, the balance of payment to record a deficit of close to $50 billion. Now, this would be in sharp contrast to a surplus of $48 billion in last financial year and a surplus of $87 billion in the previous financial year. So two years, two COVID years, we generated a balance of payment surplus on an average of $65 billion for both years. So $87 billion, $48 billion, put together the average is close to $65 billion. And this year, you'll see a, uh, a complete opposite, a complete reversal of the previous two COVID years. You'll probably see a number in the deficit of around $50 billion. So this inherently is going to put a lot of pressure on repeat because this is nothing but the summation of your current account transaction, export, import, put together, and your capital account transactions, which essentially, essentially lets you know what is the availability of dollars in the economy. So you're looking at a deficit scenario, which essentially means that rupee will have to adjust to accommodate for that deficit dollar scenario. So that's one part of the equation. The other part of the equation is uh, globally also dollar is strong. And that uh, strength in dollar is coming from uh, the, the advantage or the leadership that the Federal Reserve is currently having in terms of monetary policy adjustments. And which are the underlying reason is obviously the economic strength of U.S. in the developed market space. So U.S. economy as a whole, uh, is, uh, as far as the strength goes, uh, on the developed market, in the developed market spectrum, currently stands out. And which essentially explains why the Federal Reserve is hell-bent in trying to tame inflationary pressures. So this leadership in terms of the current economic cycle and the Federal Reserve's aggression is providing dollar the strength that it has. So it's, it's both. It's the strength in the global FX markets and the balance of payment pressure that we are seeing that, that is weighing on the It's interesting, uh, you, know, um, you know, you refer to the interest rate, aggressive uh, increases in interest rates across the world by central banks. And, you know, to wind down our conversation, I had a question that I'm sure you have an estimate of how much the RBI would or should increase rates uh, through the rest of the year. Uh, but how aggressive would you recommend that RBI goes? Because after all, you know, one way to look at it is anyway, it's an external um, situation. It's an external factor. There's not too much control that you have. And, you know, being as aggressive as the rest of the world in terms of raising rates, you probably impact growth uh, prospects here. You know, that's one way to look at it. The other way is that we have to raise interest rates because that's one way to hopefully stem the flow of FPI. Uh, and assuming that interest rate increases in India will reduce the differential with the rest of the world, especially the U.S. Fed. And then doing that, we can hope to keep in those, uh, you know, the hot money, stem the hot money outflows. Uh, what is your view on this? So as far as uh, I think RBI is concerned, uh, we think the RBI is, is is progressing well as far as their policy mandate is concerned. So we've also got to see uh, what kind of mandate uh, every central bank has. And yes, our central bank, along with other central banks, they did deviate on that mandate in the post-COVID world. And slowly, every central bank is now trying uh, their best to get back to the mandate. But given our own policy mandate, which is trying to maintain inflation between 2 and 6% range and uh, with the medium-term target target of 4%. So we did have a deviation of inflation from this target band during immediately post the uh, COVID uh, became a pandemic for two consecutive years. 
and now the intention is to get inflation first back to the target band currently the inflation level is hovering close to 7% so uh, i i guess as far as the communication from the central bank is concerned they are are first trying to guide inflation lower from the current levels of 7% back to the target band which is under 6% that is a uh, first level of journey the next level of journey is to guide inflation from whatever that level is at the under 6% uh, range towards the 4% level so in this effort uh, i i guess the central bank is doing a reasonably good job and uh, they have given out signals while yes you could say that uh, rbi has hiked rates by 140 basis point on the repo front and they've hiked uh, another 50 basis points while by replacing uh, sdf with the reverse repo rate so in effect it's a rate hike of 190 basis points and uh, given the kind of inflationary environment that we are in that 190 basis point rate hike is pretty much justified now is this good enough or do you need more one way to judge this would be that what kind of expectations you have on inflation and uh, given rpi's projections which i guess probably would be close to where the markets also would be projecting inflation one year down the line uh, one year down the line the expectation is that inflation would be closer to 5.5% and if let's say you keep your repo rate so the current level of repo rate is at 5.9 and uh, with 5.9 and with 5.5% inflation one year down the line you are trying to maintain a positive real rate of approximately 30 basis points now is this good enough for the economy which uh, will it be good enough for inflation to remain at that level and and also guide it towards the 4% well we believe that maybe a little bit more is required uh, given the uh, volatility on the external front as well because uh, as you rightly said that interest rate is not just about inflation there is also a currency angle attached to it so given this backdrop our opinion is that the rbi could possibly go as much as all the way to 6 quarter so essentially another 35 basis point of rate hike is uh, likely on the cards and when rbi goes to 6 quarter the effective real interest rate or the real policy rate would be about 75 basis points so 0.75% uh, so if let's say i'm deflating 6.25 by 5.5 so you're getting a 0.75% interest rate so that is the inflation adjusted policy rate so in this environment of the business cycle that we are in where we are just trying to to grow and trying to close the negative output gap that the economy has uh, i i think this level of positive real interest rate should be sufficient in rbi's own estimate the long term real interest rate for the economy is somewhere close to 0.8% so if we are at 0.75% we would be closer to rbi's uh, own long term level of real interest rate or the neutral level of real interest rate which is considered to be non inflationary uh, or you could say the equilibrium level of interest so there are various ways you could address it and this should be the stable situation for the economy now is there a risk to it i think the only risk to it is that there is again a sudden surge in global volatility you know 
because of further action on Russia, Ukraine, again currencies go for a toss. Something of this happens. So given the kind of environment that we are in today, I guess six quarters should be sufficient. If at all there is a further scale up of risk, then the RBI will have to take the call about it. Excellent. Um, we've uh, run out of time for this conversation, Vivek. Thank you so much. Your um, you know views have covered a wide gamut, been lucid and insightful. Grateful to you for that. Really appreciate your being with us today. Thank you so much, Bharat. It was a pleasure talking to you. In Focus will be back soon with analysis of the biggest news issues. In the meantime, you can find our podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and other platforms. Just search for In Focus by The Hindu. We'll see you soon.